This podcast is brought to you by Main Street Research. It's cloak and dagger stuff, the latest dispute between Canada and China. The CSIS report suggests China was complicit in trying to influence the outcome of the last two federal elections using money and intimidation. Now, that report points out despite the attempt, the outcome of those elections would have been the same. The head scratcher here is why the federal government's not holding a public inquiry into what happened. Our unpublished vote question asks, do you feel there should be a full public inquiry into the allegations of election interference? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote and have your voice heard. And joining us to discuss the issue about the interference at a public inquiry, political commentator Warren Kinsella. And, and Warren, first off, any surprise about these allegations about election interference? Uh, yes and no. Uh, no in the sense that CSIS has been warning successive prime ministers and, you know, governments of all political stripes for, for many years now about this problem and a growing problem. But I guess the surprise is that the, the Trudeau guys are not doing anything about it because, you know, the interference now in the, the 2019 and 2021 election campaigns, it's not an allegation. You know, this is something that we're seeing in CSIS and intelligence reports that have made their way into the into the public via some good reporting at the Globe and Mail and Global News. Um, you know, they've gotten their hands on these documents. It looks real. Nobody's disputed it. So I think, yeah, I am surprised that the government's not taking it seriously because the story's not going away. What to tell you that these leaks are coming from CSIS? Well, that's what's uh, you're you're quite right to point that out. That's what Global and uh, the Globe and Mail are saying. The Globe and Mail actually gave over their front page to a CSIS agent, as they described that person. They didn't identify that person, and that individual, a CSIS agent, described why, explained why he among others, have been uh, leaking out documents. Now, does this point to a problem we've got in our intelligence establishment that they feel that they need to do something like this? For sure. And is that something that we, we need to discourage? For sure. But I think the reason why these agents are doing this and these, and it could be actually, you know, people with intelligence agencies in other jurisdictions, uh, you know, other some of our allies who are alarmed about the degree to which China has infiltrated our politics. Um, you know, we need to take it seriously. And, and a public inquiry, which is favored by, um, I think, 72% of conservatives, but also 71% of liberals, is the way to go. We need to find out what happened here. That's what the Americans did in 2016 with the Robert Mueller report. Uh, they investigated it for two years. We need to do likewise. And that's something about this this whole th thing. I would say that, at least it, it looks to me, that uh, Prime Minister Trudeau would pick up some political points by actually going that way because there's so many Canadians who are concerned about this and they want answers. And this would give you know, a full transparent view of what's going on. And I don't think he has, I think you're absolutely right, and I don't think he has any downside, because the fact of the matter is this does concern national security, and I think reasonable, fair-minded people accept that not all of it can be discussed publicly anyway. 
you know, for example, them fighting and filibustering for weeks to prevent the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, from testifying before a committee. It made no sense to me. Number one, she's done it before and she emerged mm-hmm. unscathed. But secondly, there's things that she can legitimately say, the questions she can answer by just saying, look, uh, I'm not permitted by law to answer that question because it could compromise national security. And everybody, uh, including the Conservatives, would accept that as, as true. So it, it just makes no sense what they're doing here. And I think you know that's why we're seeing these leaks. These CSIS agents, whether, whether they're rogue or not, are saying to hell with this. If we can't motivate the government with intelligence reports, we'll give the intelligence reports to the media and maybe they can motivate the government. It, let, let's take a look at uh, the world stage here. And how is this being viewed? Because, because you can read about this in newspapers, television, radio, around the world, that China and Canada uh, potential election interference. Yeah. And, you know, other jurisdictions do take it more seriously. Like, you know, so much of American politics is a circus, as we both know. Um but, you know, in 2016, when there were allegations of Russia interfering with that presidential campaign and attempting to prevent Hillary Clinton, who I worked for, full disclosure, uh, from winning the election, um, you know, the Americans, even under Donald Trump's administration, spent two years investigating it. And now, uh, this, just this week, you know, the indictment of Donald Trump, a big part of it is about interference in that election campaign, you know, this payoff of porn, uh, of hush money to a porn star, uh, you know, that's again being done because of the integrity of that election. Like we need to take it similarly seriously here. You know, democracy, as we've seen around the world in recent years, is a fragile flower. It needs to be protected and and nurtured. And that's not done if we're just ignoring the actual ongoing manifest threat that China poses to our democratic institutions. Now, the the prime minister is obviously offered up a special rapporteur to uh, do do the investigation into this. And and obviously, it does not look... um, uh, transparent, I guess, when you consider when you consider the relationship between Trudeau and David Johnson. The the, the one thing I I worry about in particular is is David Johnson and, and his reputation. It was actually it was impeccable before this uh, came up, and now I'm a little worried. He's got to be one of the smartest people in this country that he's going to be sort of painted to, in, in a bad light. Yeah, he's an extraordinary person. You know, not just a companion of the Order of Canada. Um, he holds, you know, dozens of honorary degrees. Um, he, like, he he's an extraordinary human being, uh, but he's also a lawyer, and he should know the definition of conflict of interest. And you know, the beneficiary of China's alleged interference in those two election campaigns was Justin Trudeau. They wanted Justin Trudeau to win, not Andrew Scheer or Aaron O'Toole. And so the you know the alleged beneficiary is the very guy that De- David Johnson has seen grow up. You know he's admitted that they went on ski trips together and socialized together, and 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 Johnson is not just a member of the board of the Trudeau Foundation. He's a he's one of the people who controls it, and they received a couple hundred thousand dollars from China. So for a multiplicity of reasons, David Johnson, this eminent, respected Canadian, should not be the person doing this investigation. It, it, it was a mistake, but I think it's symptomatic of the Trudeau government's complete inability with SNC, 
with the WE scandal, um, with uh, the Aga Khan, to understand the importance of conflict of interest. It's a conflict of interest to have one of your friends investigate you. You know, the uh, the NDP has been propping up the the liberals for the last couple of years. Well, since uh, to, since the, just after the 2021 election. Um, <clears throat> but they've come out against uh, Trudeau's idea and, and they're more in support of a full public inquiry. Do you, do you see this sort of blowing up this uh, arrangement, as you call it? It could. I think I think that is, in fact, the reason why Katie Telford, uh, why they they changed their tune on her testifying. The I am told that the NDP signaled internally, we are going to vote against your government, right? You can make this a confidence matter. We will defeat the government. We need to have her uh, testify. And I think that's why the government did the flip-flop that they did and said, okay, we'll let her testify and why they've started to take it most seriously. Because, you know, at the outset, as you know, uh, Trudeau was refusing any kind of inquiry, any kind of look at it. He said, there's nothing to see here. Everybody move along. I think the NDP finally got a bit of spine and said, enough is enough. And we need to uh, investigate this. And if we have to defeat you, we'll do it. Lauren, I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks, my friend. This podcast is brought to you by Main Street Research, one of Canada's leading public research firms. Main Street has a strong track record of pulling elections at every level of government across Canada, as well as comprehensive market research for industry-leading firms. Main Street's newest consumer product is Main Street Intel, a monthly subscription that gives you access to their polling and modeling of Canadian elections and analysis of Canadian politics. You'll receive national and provincial polling every month, along with highlights on notable upcoming by-elections from across the country. For $5 a month, Main Street Intel provides you access to nationwide data so you can keep up to date with our changing political landscape. Subscribe to Main Street Intel today and level up your knowledge of Canadian politics. Warren Kinsella is a political commentator and former special advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Canada and China continue to view each other with suspicious gazes. Elliot Tepper is senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University, and he joins us now. And Elliot, we've spoken quite a bit about Canada and China. Did these allegations of possible electoral interference surprise you at all? Well, no, it's a pattern that's well known. It's well known around the world. The fact that CSIS has been warning about it for a number of years, and now the story broke uh, due to some very able journalists uh, brought it to light. So, no, this is a, a pattern apparently by China, and it's not only about election interference. We already know that uh, both Canada and other countries are worried about the theft of intellectual property. Uh, we had a flagrant case in, in in terms of Nortel. So, no, this is a, an ongoing pattern by the Communist Party of China. Has China been involved in other attempts to influence elections in other countries? Apparently so. Uh, Australia, the U.S., there's concern in at least in eight different countries right now uh, that we know of being raised in, in regard to this particular kind of activity. The, the reports from CSIS and elsewhere say basically that China will use all of the elements of state power to achieve the influence it, it uh, wishes to achieve. I'd like to draw out maybe two distinctions that would be useful in this regard. Sure. Uh, the first is the difference between, as we are being told by the CSIS people and by others who are contesting CSIS, there's a big difference between intelligence and evidence. Evidence is one thing, 
That's something justiciable, something the RCMP can act on. And intelligence is a report that something's going on that you might want to look at. But a second very important distinction, Ed, is the difference between soft power and uh, what we're seeing now, influence operations. And the difference, the key difference is every state, including us, goes around the world using our embassies to try to influence public opinion and select parts of other countries, uh, news, whatever uh, targets they wish, to have a favorable view of us, in this case, moose, mounties, and maple syrup. Right. But you cross the line when it, the activity becomes uh, not soft power, but in influence operations, when it is corrupt, covert, or coercive. And those charges, all three of those, that's what's now being laid uh, in regard to China, influence our elections, but beyond our elections, also intellectual property theft. You know, the uh, the report, the, the CSIS report that came out with the Globe and, and the Globe and Mail uh, regarding all this electoral inter interference, it, it seemed like it was a surprise. And, and in some cases, some of the some of the comments from CSIS were that, you know, the private PMO wasn't paying any attention to, to something like this. But I think back to the G20 just recently and G and Trudeau had quite a bit of a disagreement uh, about electoral interference. And, and yes. that was an international story as well. Yes. Uh, the government has been raising this quite directly for some time. Uh, the, I'll leave it to the domestic politics uh, to talk about whether it was timely or enough. But uh, I think you and I talked at the time that Xi Jinping dressed down our mm -hmm. prime minister for saying things he shouldn't and tried to educate him and tutor him as a great power would to a you know, a small power like us. So the, the Chinese are, under Xi Jinping, vastly expanding the scope of their influence operations. And we know that because the reports coming out from other countries, such as Australia, there's something called the United Front Works Department. This existed at the time of the Chinese Revolution, when allies were being sought for the Chinese Party, Communist Party, as to bring over uh, allies in against uh, the Kuomintang against the, in the civil war, it went dormant. Xi Jinping apparently has vastly expanded the United Front works, uh, and he's calling it a, a magical weapon because apparently it's now five times as large as their diplomatic corps in terms of resources, and the entire purpose is to go around the world and influence influence not soft power, but influence operations uh, to gain what China wants in the world, which is power and influence. And that's what they would hope to get by interfering in a Canadian federal election? Yes. Uh, why Canada at all? You can say, well, we're a country. We're a G7 yeah. country. Yeah. <laughs> we're part of five eyes. So we are, um, although we are very modest about being a middle power, we are in fact in the innermost circles of the high the high table of global politics. China, therefore, is interested in us as they are interested in others. And by the way, we also are right next to the United States, and China has a giant diplomatic service uh, in Canada, well beyond what would expect for a, a middle power. So uh, China has taken an interest here. The whole question now is to what degree is this undue influence that is covert or corrupt or coercive? We see that uh, what's needed now, and this is 
then brought in, of course, into the political arena. No, we have to have a public inquiry. And I'm concerned, Ed, that the whole conversation is narrowed. It's narrowing down to, well, if you don't have a public inquiry, nothing's going to happen. If you have a public inquiry, we'll know everything. I, I'm not worried about the process. Give it to a grad seminar at Carleton with some <laughs> extra powers. But the process should be two things. One, are we applying the rules and regulations and laws that we currently have? And two, what do we need to do now to up our game? And I was interested to notice in the in the most recent, recent uh, budget that $49 million is now being given to the RCMP because the diaspora communities, plural, uh, particularly China, but also Iran, North Korea, these are all people in Canada who are being targeted uh, on, in, in an incorrect fashion, in a wrong fashion. So $49 million has been given, been given for that. Plus, there's a brand new agency now being created to track foreign influence, whether we'll have a, also a foreign uh, agent's registry, that's up in the air. You have to get that right. <laughs> yeah, as we, there was just a paper, a news story today you know, about Australia, and they're struggling with it. Canadian pension plans get caught up, but Chinese influence operations don't. So we have to get that right. But the main purpose is we now know much more about the nature of the Communist Party regime under Xi Jinping, not China, and not Chinese in Canada, but the influence operations and the way they will behave, and we have to up our game significantly. Elliot, I want to thank you for joining us. Oh, it's always a pleasure, Ed. This podcast is brought to you by Main Street Research, one of Canada's leading public research firms. Main Street has a strong track record of pulling elections at every level of government across Canada, as well as comprehensive market research for industry-leading firms. Main Street's newest consumer product is Main Street Intel, a monthly subscription that gives you access to their polling and modeling of Canadian elections and analysis of Canadian politics. You'll receive national and provincial polling every month, along with highlights on notable upcoming by-elections from across the country. For $5 a month, Main Street Intel provides you access to nationwide data so you can keep up to date with our changing political landscape. Subscribe to Main Street Intel today and level up your knowledge of Canadian politics. Elliot Tepper is a senior fellow at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University. Someone who's been on the ground in China is Charles Burton. He's a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute, as well as he served as a counselor at the Canadian Embassy to China between 1991 and 93, as well as 1998 and 2000. And Charles, a report on China interference came from CSIS and was leaked to the media. When it's leaked to the media by CSIS, what's that tell you? Well, I think that, you know, looking at the um, the opinion piece that the Globe and Mail published by the alleged uh, source of those classified documents, there seemed to be a high degree of frustration among elements within the intelligence community that for some years they have been highlighting to the government of Canada that uh, foreign elements, particularly um, the uh, embassy of China, have been coordinating illegal activities with regard to uh, election interference. So, you know, they're they're coordinating illegal campaign contributions. They're uh, issuing um, disinformation to discredit candidates who hold views that the Chinese government uh, feels inhibits their agenda inside Canada. 
And so I, I think that this is clearly a function of the dissatisfaction of um, CSIS and the RCMP and CSE that they um, have been highlighting a serious national security concern to governments and they haven't seen any response. You know, no Chinese diplomats who are coordinating these kinds of um, illegal activities being expelled, uh, no agents of the Chinese state who are involved in say, uh, um, uh, fraudulent campaign contributions being uh, charged and brought up to uh, account for themselves for a court of Canadian law. So I think that's basically the reason is the puzzling lack of response of the government to very serious concerns being raised by our intelligence professionals. You know, China has an abnormal number of diplomats in Canada, especially when you it's like three times the number of Japan and well, we can go on and on and on. Why is why is that? Well, I think that, you know, the Chinese embassy is headed by the ambassador, but the ambassador is also the head of the embassy's Chinese Communist Party branch. And, you know, there are agencies of the Chinese Communist Party, notably the United Front Work Department, which, uh, according to uh, some testimony given by the RCMP to uh, the PROC committee, the Procedures Committee, is actually more funded than the entire um Chinese Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So they have an awful lot of people uh, whose mandate is to engage in influence operations and uh, and to interfere in domestic affairs of foreign countries. And a lot of those people are presumably operating out of the embassy in addition to their affiliated Ministry of State Security um, agents who are in the uh, um, you know, who enjoy diplomatic protection by having um, diplomatic passports. So the fact that China has 146 diplomats, as opposed to, I think, uh, 46 for maybe 53 for Japan, 46 for India, and 23 for Britain, suggests that an awful lot of those diplomats are engaging in activities which are not compatible with their diplomatic status. And why Canada has allowed the Chinese government to have such a high cohort here. Um, you know, I'm sure we don't have 146 Canadian diplomats in China uh, is a bit of a puzzle. And and these are not people who are dealing with immigration matters. The Chinese government has um, has devolved that to a private company. So those those visa stampers are not uh, are not diplomats. So, you know, I, I do think that we have to look into this, that I'm sure that CSIS is aware of which Chinese diplomats are involved in these malign activities. And, you know, a list should be prepared for the government and our government should expel those people. Um, you know, we don't have to give a reason as to why we declare a diplomat persona non grata. There will be obviously reciprocal consequences in expulsions of Canadians who are accredited to China. But I think that, you know, when you put the two together, do we want to keep our Canadians in China or do we want to stop people who are professionally involved in malign and illegal activities on behalf of a foreign state from functioning? I think we have to go with the uh, protect Canadian sovereignty, security and uh, and our Canadians of Chinese origin who are subject to menace and harassment by agents of a foreign power. Uh, how, how do these uh, influence operations, influence campaigns work? Well, I think that there, you know, certainly there are a number of levels. At the level of ethnic Chinese, there there is a, a desire to put out false information 
that Canada is a racist state based on white supremacy. You know, we've seen this in the um, in the statements that have been made by some quite prominent representatives of uh, of Canada in in parliamentary institutions that you know a foreign influence registry act would be something comparable to the Chinese exclusion laws of 1923. But anyway, the the idea is that you know Canadians of Chinese origin in Canada are subject to to discrimination. Therefore, they ought to seek their refuge in the motherland. In other words, uh, they should they should be loyal to the Chinese communist regime and therefore amenable to direction through the United Front Work Department with regard to who to vote for or what sort of rallies to take part in to act as proxies for illegal delivery of Chinese campaign contributions to um, foreign candidates and and um, in general to try and uh, shape the discourse in the Canadian mainstream media in directions that the Chinese government likes, particularly in the emphasizing that any actions critical of the Chinese regime, um, you know, whether it's the genocide in in Xinjiang or the Hong Kong national security law or or uh, Chinese pervasive espionage of various types in Canada is akin to racism against all people of Han Chinese origin. You know, and of course, we're very uh, sensitive to that kind of accusation because of the history of racism that Canadians uh, have in our history. The other aspect is attempting to curry influence with policymakers, and you do see a phenomenon where, you know, Canadian um, politicians and senior civil servants, when they're in positions of public trust, do not associate themselves with any policy measures that the Chinese government would find um, um, unfavorable and might you know, support, say, the Chinese government's claims that the Huawei 5G is just a, an excellent well-priced technology that would not be used to get information for the Chinese state on Canadian infrastructure or be used to uh, to engage in espionage and downloading databases and so on. And I think that these people are often rewarded in retirement uh, with uh, what my colleague in Britain, Charlie Parton, uh, describes as life-changing amounts of money. So we do see some former Canadian politicians who do go on boards and uh, become associated with law firms um, that uh, are connected to the Chinese uh, um, communist business networks. I mean, we know, for example, that we found out in the course of his uh, conservative leadership campaign that uh, Jean Charest, who had previously been um, quite supportive of of Huawei's intent in Canada, was a recipient of a very generous uh, um, retainer from Huawei for quite a long period. So, you know, I, I do think that a lot of Canadian politicians are thinking about their post-political careers. A lot of them leave politicians in their 50s. They want to make serious money um, and uh, offending China in any way can um, block off a lot of these sorts of opportunities. So I think that that's why we haven't seen our governments acting as vigorously in response to the very serious concerns raised by CSIS and other agencies in the past. But if we have a Foreign Influence Registry Act that requires people um, you know, post-government employment to be transparent about the receipt of benefits from a foreign state, I think that that could do a lot to dampen the um, the uh, tendency of of um, 
policymakers in the civil service and government while in office from um, uh, ignoring uh, concerns about China that impinge on Canadian security and sovereignty that our government really should be addressing much, much more vigorously than we have up to now. Uh, you know, Canadians are paying attention to this issue. And, you know, some polling was the Angus Reid Institute did a, did a poll found nine, 10 Canadians feel Canada is either afraid or unable to stand up to China. What would it look like if Canada did take a stand? Well, I think that China certainly, you know, it's an integrated party, state, business, military, security regime, and they they act in a coordinated way. And so, you know, one would expect economic uh, coercion to try and uh, cause political pain for politicians that undertake measures that China would not like. I mean, for example, China would obviously very much oppose a Foreign Influence Registry Act because that would um, disincentive the people that they are attempting to to, uh, co-opt through giving benefits or promise of benefits from from, uh, cooperating with them. But you know, we saw at the time of the um, of our holding of the Huawei CFO Meng Wanzhou, um, while we considered a U.S. Inf- extradition request to send her to to the United States to face charges, that China engaged in various forms of economic coercion. For example, falsely claiming that Canadian canola seed exports were unacceptable for import into China and violating the contracts on the false basis that our canola seed shipments contained contaminants in the dockage, the non-seed portion, and they were able to get Chinese inspection agencies to go with this fiction. And as a result, our farmers you know, had disruption to a $30 million a year export commodity. And they did a similar thing with uh, Quebec meat. Um, you know, no other country that receives our canola seeds was having any problems with the quality of our product. So it was clearly a, a measure to try and coerce the government to to uh, do to to simply um, allow Ms. Meng to return to China without facing a U.S. court procedure. And then we had the hostage diplomacy of Michael Kovrick and Michael Saver, which was also, I think, pretty clearly designed to try and uh, incentivize the government to release Ms. Meng. And a number of, of elements within Canada, former politicians and so on, were supported this idea that we should simply return Ms. Meng and solve the issue. But I think in terms of economic coercion, you know, unlike other countries like Australia and New Zealand that have a high dependency on um, exports to the Chinese market, Canada, frankly, does not. It's less than 5% of our external commodity trade that goes to China. Most of this are agricultural commodities and minerals for which there is a global market. So if China, in an unjust way, just decided we're not going to take um, you know, Canadian soybeans, uh, they'll source from Brazil or the United States instead, that will reduce the cost of our soybeans on the international market and open up other markets for us. And we've seen this in in China's attempts to coerce Australia over Australia's insistence that there be a fair and impartial international investigation into the sources of COVID-19. China attempted um, various forms of, of economic sanctions. And I think it was particularly on coal, China had to reverse because they weren't able to source enough coal elsewhere. So this, you know, the Chinese government's calculation that they can pressure us through the power of the Chinese 
market is not necessarily um, successful. It might work in countries that you know have more specific uh, exports to China, like Japan. But I think that Canada can stand up for our Canadian values, security, and sovereignty at, you know, obviously some economic disruptive cost, but ultimately it will not have a major impact on the promotion of Canadian prosperity. And it's time for us to recognize this and start doing the right thing and not giving in to Chinese government economic blackmail. Charles, I want to thank you for joining us. Great to speak with you. Charles Burton is a senior fellow at the McDonald Laurier Institute and served as a counselor at the Canadian Embassy to China between 1991 and 93 and 98 to 2000. Our unpublished vote question asks you, do you feel there should be a full public inquiry into the allegations of election interference? Yes, no, or unsure. You can log on and vote right now at Unpublished Vote and have your voice heard. I want to thank our guests today on the Unpublished Cafe, Warren Kinsella, Elliot Tepper, and Charles Burton. And thank you for watching the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand. Hey.